0: Brother Steve and A.J., appreciate it so much. Well, I'm visiting a portion of scripture that Brother Steve preached on a couple of Sunday nights ago. And uh, not that I want to step on his his toes or anything along the message that he preached there, but uh, it kind of goes in line with uh, the uh, ongoing series of the Successful Christian Life. And we've been looking at... Uh, discontentment and uh, you like discouragement. and discouragement yeah <laughs> I can't even think what I was preaching uh, and and the uh, and discouragement, uh, discouragement and uh, today we look at uh, uh, doubt and the uh, message is simply entitled the all-important question what is the important question and so the key verse for us in chapter 9 and verse 28 is uh and when he that is the father was come in, when Jesus was come into the house his disciples asked him privately why could not we cast him out why well there's a lot of why's we ask in our christian experiences aren't there i think we need to be very careful and some of those is, why did you let this happen to me, Lord? Why now, Lord? Probably not the, the wisest questions that we could be asking. But when come to certain things in our lives, Lord, I'd like to know the purpose. i like to know the reason so that I can make corrections if it's necessary along the way. But Steve is in his ongoing study in the book of Mark on Sunday evenings, which, by the way, if you are not listening in on, you should be listening in on. Anyway, Steve preached a wonderful message on the subject of doubt. And we shall again visit this subject of doubt. As it is one of the three destructive forces of faith. One of three. I I don't believe it necessarily is the first. I believe it is the result of the first two. We have looked the week before and last week at the two compatriots who conspire to render the believer either faithless or weak in their faith. The prior two messages also began with a letter D. They were discontentment and discouragement. And when you link these three together, you have the three most destructive enemies of the Christian faith when you add doubt to it. Now, I believe that when we examine biblically the, two, the first two, discontentment and discouragement, doubt naturally follows. Now, we find ourselves in a bad place, a weak place, and we fail to be content in our relationship with Christ and that's one of the things we've got to learn to do is to be content now we find it easy to be content we're on a mountaintop, amen we just had a wonderful victory we've got a great victory and, and we're on that mountaintop there and I mean everything is that zippy to do, da there's a bluebird on my shoulder everything's going my way and we're content and then all of a sudden wait a minute why am I now in this valley and we don't like it down there well, it's dark down here and it's difficult down here. Well, you know, you are you and I are to be as content down there as we were on the mountaintop. Amen. Circumstances should not determine whether we're content in the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we find ourselves going from that mountaintop into the valley because on the mountaintop and are contentment, we we forget to continue to develop that ongoing depth of relationship with the lord jesus christ but down the valley we also we see a need that we we didn't see on the mountaintop and we realize that you know maybe i have begun to l- let some things slip that i should not have done so we find ourselves in a bad place a weak place and we fail to be content in our relationship with christ and we allow discouragement and disappointments to cast doubts on christ's love christ's provisions or his promises When we have confidence that we are in God's will for our lives, then whatever God allows in this pathway is God's will. Amen? I can't be in God's will and and not have the Lord take me through some valley experiences or through some dark tunnels along the way. Because he has his purposes, they're in my life for a reason, and I've got to learn to be content with the fact that God knows all about it. I may not have the answers right away, but I know that he does. I may not have all the direction, but he does. And so I can be content in him, knowing that he has a reason and a purpose. And that when all is said and done, I will have at least grown in grace. I will have matured along the way. And so it's the same for allowing times of discouragement. We find that he is all the encouragement that we should need. Now, I know that Rose is going through some tough times. And it's been really a rough road to hope. But she has always sought to the Lord for contentment, to find a peace that passes understanding in her relationship with the Lord. And so when we falsely believe or assume that contentment and encouragement comes uh, come from our lives, being free from all problems and challenges, then we can never fully develop a deep and abiding love and appreciation for who God our Father and Jesus Christ our Savior are. Show me a marriage where couples are deeply in love and deeply committed to each other, and more than likely there is a history of events that they have struggled through together, praying together, looking for biblical answers, and to be strengthened by the word of God. But you show me someone whose, whose marriage is somewhat fragmented, or it just seems like everything's spinning out of control. And it's usually because they have not been following their relationship with the Lord as they ought to be there is usually the husband doing one thing the wife doing something else or the the, the children doing their own thing as well but the family that you will say go the family that prays together is the family that what stays together well, that doesn't only mean on a day-to-day basis. It means that when we're going through difficult times, whether it's of health or whether it's finances or whatever the circumstances that are, that are uncomfortable and, and sometimes uh, maybe uh, nail-biting in our lives along, along the way there, that we don't spin out of control and we don't get, get, get huffy with each other. We, we get together and we pray together. Amen? We identify what the problem is and then we pray about the problem. And we pray together until God gives us the answer, until God delivers along the way. And it's the same thing in our relationship with the Lord. That difficult times are not a time for us to close up our Bibles and to to lock the prayer closet up and go do our own thing there because somehow God's being mean to me today. No, it's an opportunity to get into that prayer closet. If it's a little crowded, then find another closet where you and your wife can get in there and pray about the problems together. Amen? And so those who don't are those who doubt their spouse's love, their spouse's commitment, and usually they grow apart and separate over the issues of life, citing they simply fell out of love. I don't know how anybody falls out of love. You know, it takes work to build a good marriage. And I think you have to work at destroying one too. Sometimes it's just not doing anything at all. But I think that some people just sabotage their own relationship with their spouses or with their family members because it's somehow it seems to be their fleshly nature to do so rather than their spiritual nature. And so here's the truth, that they didn't work hard enough on the right solutions, amen? They just assumed that God was being mean, and uh, it's, it's her fault, his fault, their fault, somebody's fault along the line there, and they're more, more interested in finding out who is at fault, rather than simply saying this is what we need to do? And the first step is always to get along with the Lord, and to pray, and to keep on praying until you come out of the prayer closet. And you got some, you get some idea that, that that God has an answer and God has some direction and some solution. So, we're going to be looking at just a couple points this morning, and we just do prayer. Father, we pray that you'll guide and direct. We look at the message this morning because, Lord, I, I don't doubt that there's not a man or a woman in this place that has faith. But, Lord, the question really is. What is it based on? Is it based on on an ex, an, an, uh, an experienced relationship, an experienced walk? Or is it just simply that we have this head knowledge, this academic knowledge that we read the Bible, we know your promises are in there, and, and Lord, we claim the promise, and we have faith in them. But sometimes when the tougher things in life come along, uh, Lord, we begin to doubt. We begin to have questions. And we make poor decisions along the way. So Lord, whether it's to salvation or to rededication or to deal with a particular issue that maybe someone is going through today here in the sanctuary or those who are listening at home as well, that Lord, you guide and direct and bring about your perfect will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the very first point this morning is the quandary. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 18. Looking in verse 14, the Bible says, and when and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. You know, when something is going wrong or miss something, the scribes are always going to be in the way. No matter what you, what you think about them, they just seem to probably mocking them, know that they were disciples, probably had something to say. Yeah, you couldn't do it. Huh? I knew it wasn't real. I knew it wasn't really genuine. See, when you guys follow a the false, they probably had all kinds of negative things to say, and they were harassing these disciples, who I believe really did their best, who tried, tried their best. And so, uh, and it says in verse 15, And straightway, all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, and running to him saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, "Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and whosoever uh, and wheresoever he taketh him he teacheth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away, and I spake to thy disciples and, and that they should cast him out, and they could not. I wonder if there 's been some you could nots in your life." You'd love to. Maybe there's been someone that you've been praying for for so long, someone that you've witnessed to a number of times, and maybe now you've given up praying for him because it's been so long. But they're not saved yet, and you're wondering when God's going to move, or it might just be a health issue. It could be any number of things this morning. But the question asked by the disciples of Jesus is stated in that verse 28. It says, why could not we cast him out? Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life, and I'm sure in some, if not all, of our lives, When we've asked this question, why? In relation to some of our past or even present prayers. Perhaps it is a personal issue, a personal battle of thought life. You're dealing with a thought life, something no one else can see, but you know it's there and you're still dealing with it. Maybe it's a health issue, financial issue. Perhaps it is about the lifestyle that your children are pursuing in the world and you're brokenhearted. And you've been praying and it doesn't seem like God's moving. Perhaps it is a spouse who is rebellious or has an alcohol issue or or one of money issues. Perhaps it is about the need for salvation among family members and you've been praying for so long. And the closer we see are getting to to the rapture of the church, we're getting more and more concerned. And so you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. It's been years and no answers have come forth yet. Life seems to continue as it has and you've become wearied. You've become tired, maybe cynical and doubtful in your faith. I don't think God's ever going to save this individual. I don't think God's ever going to deliver me from this health issue. I don't think God's ever going to deliver me from this disease. And so we become doubtful. Well, there are answers to all of these, for sure, and we'll probably touch on some before we end today. But some of the problem is our unwillingness to admit we have a problem and we try to minimize the problem by making excuses. Now, this man had a, had, a, had a son who was from child, demon-possessed. I know that most of you, if you've had two or three-year-olds, you think they're all demon-possessed. <laughs> they just have to outgrow. But the issue is, is more at hand is that uh, we're not willing to identify the problem. We'll, we'll put nice little names on it so that the people... Well, things so ill. Now, when I grew up in Bridgeton, Maine, as a young boy, it was known that there were a couple of alcoholics in our town. Most of the time, you could tell because they couldn 't walk a straight line. Other times it was they had a brown bag with a bottle, and that' back in the day when they, people, people used to be concerned about other people knowing that you, were, you, were, you, you would drink. But we knew that they were. But I'm sure that a lot of people probably had other names for it. They call it a disease, and they call it other things. They don't call it anything but what they what they should call it—an alcoholic. So if if it is alcoholism, then we should we should we, we would rather say they have a drinking problem because it sounds kinder than saying that they are alcoholics or they have a serious problem with alcohol. So we've got to stop making excuses. This man didn't make any excuses. He said, "My son." Uh, is acting in ways that is obviously the result of a demon in possession, of being demon, demonically possessed. And so he identified what the problem was, and because he identified the problem, he knew where he had to go in order to get it taken care of. Now, I'm sure he had tried other sources, but they couldn't do anything. The religious leaders weren't able to do anything. The scribes weren't able to All they ever could do was cast aspersions one way or the other on whatever Christ did or whatever the disciples did. But nonetheless, this guy, this father, he said, Listen, my son's got a problem. I want, I want that problem to be taken care of. And so he brought him to the one who could. He brought him to the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, he brought him to the disciples, but the disciples could not do that. And we'll answer the question why. So if it is drugs, then we would rather use uh, some other identity other than a, a drug addiction, saying that they are addicts. Now, it isn't only about drugs. Listen, uh, sugar, you can be a, a sugar addict, um, you can be an addict over a number of things. Pornography is addicting. Anything that somehow affects the dopamine of your mind and your body can become very powerful and addictive. Smoking is an addiction. It's a nasty one, as as almost all addictions are. But if we can put a kinder, gentler title on them, then we don't feel quite so bad in discussing it or talking with others. So when we get in our prayer closet, we've got to be absolutely accurate with the Lord. Say, Lord, my, my daughter or my son has a problem, or my husband or my wife has a problem. We have to identify what the problem is. Now, If it is rebellion, we would rather say that they are just strong-willed rather than rebellious. Listen, a strong-willed child is a rebellious child. Today's society is always looking for a way to minimize our problems for fear that it somehow reflects badly uh, on our person. I certainly don't want people to think ill of me as a father. I don't want people to think ill of me as a father and a pastor raising my family, knowing that my, my kids are running around town and, and uh, are raising hell every time you turn around. Uh, I had a cousin uh, who had kids uh, that were in the town, and everybody in town knew that the kids were rebel rousers and everything else like that. But uh, his, his wife was in total denial. It cost him his ministry, cost him his family. Folks, we got to understand when there's a problem, we have to be able to identify the problem and be willing to do uh, to do something in attacking the particular problem. And so, this father knew that he had a serious problem concerning his son, whom he loved, and was in and of himself unable to do anything to help him. So he obviously went out and he sought good help. The village knew his father had a son who was in dire need of help, and yet they were all helpless. I don't know how many come up to him and say, listen, we're we'll going to be praying for you. Or listen, we're going we're to we're fast for you. Uh, I don't know that even the disciples said that, other than the fact they probably did pray when they finally, uh, some was brought to them. Uh, we don't see the religious scribes offering anything in the way of help or hope. Uh, and, and they were there, according to verses 14 and 15, they were there and they were chiding with the disciples. The disciples were in a state of bewilderment. They tried, but to no avail. I believe the father seemingly was witnessing the last rays of hope for his son's deliverance. If not the disciples, then who? Who would he go to? Well, Jesus is never very far from where his disciples are. That brings us to the second point: the request in Mark nine twenty-four. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said, with tears, "Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief." So it is possible for us to have faith. But maybe the tougher things in life, we have certain reservations, we have certain doubts about. It might be something from our past. Well, I don't believe the Lord's going to answer this because of something I did or something I said or something that I got involved in. Listen, if it's under the blood, it's under the blood. Amen? But whatever you've done in the past, if you've got it under the blood, it's under the blood. Move forward. Don't let the devil keep picking at the scab. So there are two things here. The father was at wit's end and uh, uh, as everything and everyone uh, to this point had failed him. The disciples were his last hope. If anyone could help, surely they could. I mean, if if they've been with this disciple, they know that the the Lord, uh, they know that they have done some things together with the Lord. The Lord had done some marvelous, wonderful things so much that the Bible says that, that the world could contain all the books as they had written about the things that Jesus had done. How disappointing. His faith had brought him to this point, and it wasn't enough. Even as far as the disciples, that the problem that existed before them, the challenge that was before them, and even their faith was not sufficient to handle the problem. Now, aren't you glad that Jesus is never very far away? <laughs> I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always with you on the mountaintop and in the valleys. He is with you every step of the way. One can only imagine the types of questions the scribes were asking the disciples. Jesus is always going to get to the heart of our problem. They probably, as I said earlier, really chided with them and rebuked them and scorned them and laughed at them a little bit because these were the teachers. They, these were the men who were supposed to be explaining the law of Moses. These were the men. If you were having a difficulty, they would get their heads together and. Uh, through the human nature of human flesh, they would try to um, elucidate on it, if you would. Try to elucidate. And so, they didn't have any answers either. They didn't offer any help whatsoever. And so, the father explains the situation to Jesus, and Jesus rebukes the crowd for their lack of faith. Now, it isn't that the disciples didn't have the faith, or... They wouldn't have even tried at the moment. And it isn't that the father didn't have faith because he said he believed that Jesus was able. I thought, I don't believe he would have brought his son there. Now, it may not have been a, a giant faith, but it was a, a faith of desperation that this man has done some great things. This man has healed the blind. This man has made the lame to walk again. This man has risen the dead surely he can take care of my son's problem. And I believe based on what he knew and he understood about the history of the Lord Jesus Christ in that vast few years, he was able to come and say, I know he can do it. I know that he has the power. I know that he has the ability. Now, to be honest with you, he didn't have the relationship with Christ, but he had the history. And we're going to make a a difference between our relationship and history here in a moment. So it isn't that the disciples didn't have the faith or they couldn't or they wouldn't have tried. And it isn't that the father didn't have faith. He said he did and he brought forth his son accordingly. The problem was they, that they were a faithless generation, as it says in verse 19, which is all inclusive. Because our faith grows and increases the more our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ Increases. The more time you spend with the Lord, the greater your faith will increase. I'm not just talking about coming to church on a Sunday morning. I'm not talking about reading the devotional and and going on with your day. I'm talking about really developing a a, a deep and abiding, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've been married 59 and so many months. Next year, we'll be married 60 years. In that 60 years, I have gotten to know my wife pretty well. Because we've worked at getting to know each other. Because she's always telling me, she says, I know what you're thinking right now. I know what you're thinking. (laughs) And she probably does. I don't know. (laughs) But we have a relationship that we have built for 59 plus years. My faith in her and her prayer and and, and her prayer life and her walk with the Lord is based on my intimate relationship with my wife, spiritually and emotionally, and vice versa, her with me. Now, when we were first married, we really didn't know each other. We thought we did. Now we look back and say, "Man, what a bonehead! (laughs) What a dummy!" That's why the Bible says, husbands, dwell with your wives according to what? Knowledge. According to knowledge. That means yeah, you got to yeah, spend some time with them. Not at one end of the house or someone at the other end of the house or, or with a TV caught in between the two of you with a remote. But there are things that you are got to do together to really get to know each other. I'll be honest with you, not everything you're going to find is going to be wonderful either. But because you love them, you have a relationship, you're willing to work on those things as well. So all of us have a firm faith in God's saving grace, amen? Anybody wake up this morning doubting that if the rapture would occur, you're going to be left behind? More than likely not. If you have been walking with the Lord, if you have been developing a close and an intimate relationship with the Lord, and you didn't wake up this morning doubting your salvation, nor did you go to bed last night doubting it. There was absolutely no doubt in your mind that if you were to die, that you'd be immediately in heaven with the Lord. And so, as long as we are in the Word of God, studying and meditating and attending regular church services, our faith in the, in the basic disciplines of the faith are without question and without doubt. That's why going to church is, is really important. It needs to be an an, an an important and an integral part of our Christian experience. And I walk with the Lord. Listen, If he, the Son of God, thought it was important to go to the temple when the temple was open, then it's important for us to go to church. Amen? Well, we have a generation today that out there, I, I, I'm concerned that they don't see any need for it. I don't know if that means that they think they have all the answers for life. I don't know. But my concern is that they're not developing that relationship. Well, They may have a relationship, but they're not developing it. Listen, people can be married and have a relationship, but it's not a developed relationship. It's just a relationship. It's like two ships passing in the night. And so, there have been times when we are praying for something or someone that we are careful to petition the Lord for fear he won't answer and so we ask with timidity we ask with uncertainty well, I don't know if I've been good enough so I don't know if the Lord's going to answer this prayer or not or if there's going to be something from my past that's going to creep up here and the Lord's going to remind me of it I have, you know there could be a number of reasons why we come not boldly but we come with timidity or as James states it in his epistle in James chapter 1 let's turn to James chapter 1 In James chapter 1, we're looking at verses 5 through 7. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I don't know anybody who has the amount of wisdom in and of themselves without saying, Lord, I need some wisdom. I need some wisdom so I can be the wife that God wants me to be. Lord, I need the wisdom so I can be the husband that God wants me to be. Lord, I need wisdom to be the father. I need wisdom to be the grandfather. Lord, I need wisdom to be the pastor that you've called me to be. Because in and of myself, it's just not up there by itself. But it comes from the word of God. And it comes from my walk with God. It comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit of God who imparts to us liberally. Because he goes on and he says there in uh, in uh, verse uh, uh, 5, he says, uh, uh If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith. Nothing what? What does it mean not to waver? Steve, did you touch on that? No doubt. Okay, good. I just want to make sure they're going to get double dose. Wavering is the idea of uncertainty. You're not even sure if God's going to hear you. You're not, even, you're not even sure if God cares. Why would God want to answer this prayer for me? And so we, we ask wavering with uncertainty. Now, I don't believe it's wrong when, you're, when someone is sick and they may be sick unto death and you say, Lord, if it's your will to heal them. Because God doesn't always heal, does it? Because sometimes it's not God's will to heal. The apostle Paul wanted to be healed because he felt that 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 whatever problem he had was an was a, was a encumbrance to his ministry. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, I, I besought the Lord thrice to take care of this encumbrance that was that, that was somehow I felt was a was a it was a hindrance to my ministry. Three times. Finally, God said, nope, not gonna do it. That's that's the NIV version, by the way. <laughs> he simply says no my grace is sufficient for thee that's the right version the KJV version but my grace is sufficient for thee and the apostle Paul accepted that he said I will be content because it is your will that I endure with this encumbrance And, and it made him stronger because he said when I am weak then am I strong Because I knew that I had to repair to the Lord. If I was going to communicate to people effectively the word of God, then I'm going to have to depend on the Lord. And in his life, going from being a Pharisee to being uh, the greatest missionary in all human history, the man knew that every step of the way he needed the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew that he needed to develop a relationship with the Lord so that he could have confidence And that God would work through his life in spite of the problems, whatever they might have been. So, Gazana says in verse 7, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, because a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all those ways. Either, Either you believe God can, or you don't believe he will. I would rather believe that God, not only can, but that God will, if it's within his will for my life. Otherwise, he's got some other thing that he wants me to learn. So as redeemed of the Lord, we can in faith believe, come boldly, as Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now that grace doesn't mean that God's going to deliver us from the problem. If it's a health issue, if it's a financial financial issue right away, it doesn't mean that God's necessarily going to deliver us from it, but he is going to give us the peace that passes understanding as we continue to walk with him and to seek his direction through the problem. So it is partnering with Jesus in faith to meet a need as the father did when he spoke to Jesus. The father wanted to partner with the Lord Jesus Christ to heal his son. And he said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. So he was looking for Christ to do something in his life so that together as he partnered with Christ, Christ would exercise the healing or the exercising of the demon. And so we've got to learn this idea of what it is to partner with the Lord. So much of what we do in our life we do on our own, don't we? How many of you you, you really got up this morning seeking that, that Lord... What a great day this is going to be. Lord, we're going to be going to church today. I'm going to be fellowship with my brothers and sisters. Lord, I know that you're going to be there. Lord, you're going to guide and direct me there. Lord, I know you've got something there for me to hear this morning. And so, Lord, I'm ready to go. Lord, I'm bringing two buckets this morning. And because you're partnering with the Lord, you're expecting the Lord to also minister that relationship, even as I do for my wife, as my wife does for me. She is a minister to me as I am a minister to her. And in that ministry, our relationship grows and grows and grows and grows. It gets to the point where you just couldn't imagine life without, without, without your partner. You just could not imagine life without them. And so, I believe the father believed Jesus could heal his son because he had heard. He just wasn't sure that he would, like you and I We pray but not always sure Jesus will answer and we kind of him and ha and this and that along the way there or that he will answer in the way that we want him to answer. He's not obligated to answer our prayers the way we want them answered. He will answer as we mentioned about the Apostle Paul. So just know this. I'm sure that this is why when we pray the doubt is not that he can't answer but that he may choose not to do so and we just couldn't imagine that so Jesus always answers our prayer not always in the way that we would like or think that he should but he always answers I already mentioned the apostle Paul you can pick it up in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8 or chapter 12 verses 9 and 10 but never doubt the wisdom of God in dealing with us and our requests never, never, ever doubt God, in the way he deals with us in our prayer requests. Folks, there are sometimes in the Christian life that require us to be in a very tight relationship with the Lord our God. Not casual, not an occasional reading of the scriptures, not an occasional, uh, lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Not a, not a casual rub-a-dub-dub, thank you for the grub, or whatever it is that some people might say. We don't refer to him as the big guy in the sky. No. Not at all. But when we develop that tight relationship so that there are never any hesitations or any reservations whatsoever, when we come in our prayer closet to those prayer requests to know that God will do the thing that's right, because God can do nothing less than do the thing that's right, and so, folks, as I said, the closer I re- the closer I fellowship, the more intimate our walk, the greater our humbleness, the greater our power in the exercise of our faith. It's the way it works. That's very biblical, very scriptural. The closer our fellowship, the more intimate our walk, the greater our humbleness, the greater our power. And the exercise of oh, but wait a minute, preacher. If I, if I do that, I won't be able to do some of the things that I like to do. You know, there's a greater joy in serving. We sing the song. There's joy in serving Jesus. You will never, ever, beside the rapture, experience the kind of joy that Christ can bring to our lives when we do what He wants us to do the way He wants us to do it. Amen? You look around in this world and it seems like they're having such a good time. But someday they're going to wake up and realize that they blew it. They were so busy trying to find something in the world that they could not find because it's an endless, it's an endless battle, it's an endless journey that when you come to the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ and you draw close. How intimate must Enoch have been to one day be walking with God and boom, he was translated to heaven. Or Elijah. How close must his relationship have been? The man Moses, he had to develop a close and intimate relationship with the Lord because of all the things that he had to deal with. He could not have done what he did, accomplished what he had accomplished if he had not had that close, ongoing, intimate relationship with the Lord his God. And so we've got to, we have to put off this casualness, this casual attitude, this uh, blagé sense that well, I don't really need to go to church or I don't really need to read my Bible. I really don't need to pray all that much. I'll wait, between, I'll, I'll wait until I get between a rock and a hard place and then I'll pray. Too late. More often, it's too late. I want to know that I am where I ought to be when I get between a rock and a hard place. That is something that sometimes God allows. And so the disciples question in Mark chapter 9. In verse 28, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus' response to them in verse 29 is And Jesus said unto them, This kind. So we know that there, there are some areas where basic faith can 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 cover the issue. But there are some issues that are going to come into our lives that require much more than just a casual faith. It's going to take a deep abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to deal with it. And so he says in verse 29, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Time in labored prayer. Not a simple request. But quality, quantity of time in prayer, fasting also, not just quality time, intense time. Sometimes we get into our prayer closet and we don't even know how to say it. And thank God for the Holy Spirit, amen, who will present our moanings and our groanings before the Lord. Many of us, we can't even moan and groan in our prayer closets because it takes too much time. And so, fasting—a willingness to set some time, or set something aside, or to set some time aside for intercessory prayer—fasting can be a wonderful experience of getting close with the Lord. Well, once you get past that, that grumbling and the murmuring and the groaning of the tummy, and the feel like you're going to die if you don't get something to eat in the next minute or two, but you give maybe the Lord. Some people tithe a meal a day. And spend that time just with the Lord. Some will give maybe a a day a week. Some people may give a week or so. It depends on... The process of fasting is not about getting what you want to get, but getting to where you need to be. See the difference? Fasting is about you and I getting to where it is that we need to be in our relationship with the Lord. And so... I'm going to leave it here. And and the Lord willing, I I think I want to touch on, on why fasting is important and how it is oftentimes misused. But in closing, just know this, that Jesus is always looking for ways to bring us closer to himself, always looking for ways to bring them. Ladies, don't you do that? You know what your husband's favorite meal is. You know what his favorite dessert is. And so you cook and you make it for him. And and he is so appreciative because in that moment he's realized that you were thinking about him that day, or if he comes home from work and he's got your favorite flowers or your favorite candy or your favorite chocolate ice cream I don't know whatever it is he brings it home and you know that he was thinking about you throughout that day. And and, and sometimes I'll, I'll I'll be out doing some errands there and, and, and I'll stop by uh, Dunkin' Donuts and I I don't drink coffee and I, I don't eat a lot of donuts. But I know that she likes that, pe- that frozen pecan butter crunch, whatever it is. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just go and I'll get her one and I'll bring it home. And it brings a smile from ear to ear. Why? Not just because I bought it, but because I was thinking about her while I was out and about. See, so there are things that we have to do, things that we should do. But how about when it comes to the things of the Lord? Prayer and fasting are two very special ways in which we can do these two things. Jesus wants to be able... Jesus wants to be able to use us so as people who see us interact with us, that they see Jesus and the power of Jesus at work in our lives. Isn't that really what's behind uh, the Sermon on the Mount? That they light so shine before men, that they may see your good works. And glorify who? Your father. Why? Because the work that they see is an acknowledgement that you probably wouldn't have been an individual who would have done those things that way, but that must be God at work in your life. And it should be evident. And so think of it this way our faith is to be the way many people will think of faith. Have you ever, have you ever used that well, I wish I had their faith. Have you, have you ever used that expression? I wish I had their faith. Why would you wish when you can? I mean, he doesn't withhold that from anybody. If you want to have that kind of faith, the kind of faith that moves mountains, then get close to the Lord. And so when it's feeble, then it's ineffective. And that is the image that people will have of you and faith is that that, it's feeble. They, be they our children, our spouse. Our friends or family won't be able to envision greater or better things because you don't believe it yourself. On the other hand, if our relationship is a deep relationship, then our faith will grow by leaps and bounds and folks will be able to envision greater and better things, especially our children. I love the fact that the kids would come and say, Mom, i got a test today. Pray for me today. She'd ask, What time's the class? And she'd pray. I would say, as a typical father, If you didn't study, it's not going to (laughs) work. And I say, listen, if you want God to help you, you, gotta, you, you, you have to put some effort forward. You've got to study yourself, amen, and that God would help you to remember the things that you studied. So doubts are due to a weak relationship with the Lord our God. That's what it is. It's a weak relationship, and it doesn't need to be. Have a strong, vibrant, close, intimate relationship with you because that's what God wants with you. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. Lord, a quick reminder and a follow-up to Brother Steve's message when he touched on this as well. Lord, sometimes it is good that we hear something twice because, Lord, it enables us to remember a little bit more. But, Lord, I know the expectation of the folk here at Calvary and those at home viewers as well. And that is that I would have this relationship. Lord, so many times in the ministry I've had people come to me and say, Preacher, would you pray? And, and, and Lord, I'm more than glad to do so. But Lord, if, it's, if their expectation is that I can accomplish something that they could not accomplish, Lord, may we all be mindful that any one of us can have the relationship that Enoch had, or Elijah had, or that Moses had, or that Paul had. We can have that close, intimate relationship where there are no questions about Lord your abilities and your powers and your love and your promises. Just to name a few. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us will be encouraged to understand and to see the necessity of not a a, a quick and a glib, as oftentimes we do, a a, a quick and hasty prayer, just so that we can say that we did it. Lord, forgive me for the times that I have been uh, uh, slack in, in this area as well. Lord, sometimes the agenda seems overwhelming and and we just kind of give our Bible reading a lick and we give our prayer life a lick and we won't go on and wonder why we don't have the power to be able to accomplish what you've called us to accomplish. Lord, forgive us of that. But Lord, may we be challenged before we leave here today to truly, truly so surrender our lives that Lord, you can do great things and accomplish great things through us. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed as Diane quietly plays on the piano. And I ask you today, what is it? I, 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 there is no such thing as a faithometer. But I believe that between you and the Lord, you have a pretty good idea of where that faithometer is. Whether you have barely enough faith, or sufficient faith, or whether you have great faith. Preacher, pray for me in closing. I want to have that great faith. I, 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 I want that that drive I want that passion to have that relationship that intimate close relationship with my Savior my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and with God the Father preacher pray for me in closing that's my desire today that's my desire until Jesus comes and I can finally see him so that I can say with the Apostle Paul and betwixt two things to be present or to be absent and to be present with you he said it was, it was, it was more needful But his heart's desire was to be with the Savior who redeemed him and saved him. And that should be our great longing. That should be the great passion of our soul. Not just to muddle through another day, but to go through the day hand in hand with the Lord, step for step, word for word and breath for breath, heartbeat for heartbeat, to do it with the Lord. Preacher, pray. Pray for me today. Maybe you don't know for sure if you've got a home in heaven. Well, listen, don't 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 let the devil blind you to the fact that there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You better get serious and take him at his word because when he comes and raptures the church, it's too late. It's too late. Preacher, pray for me. I do not know where I'm going to spend eternity. Would you pray for me this morning that I'd understand it and I would see it? Those folks at home, you can make the same choices, the same decisions right where you are. You can come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior there as well as rededicating your life. You can do that. Well, Father, again, we thank you for this time that we could be together and gathered around your infallibly preserved word. Praying that, Father, you'll guide and direct throughout the rest of this day and, for that matter, until you come and gather us under yourself. Lord, I think of my wife at home and thank you that she is recovering. Pray that she'll fully recover and be herself before this day is even over. But Lord, for all of us today, may we go forth from the house of the Lord, exuding, if Lord, hemorrhage of faith that knows no bounds because of our relationship with you. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. Father, dismiss us with thy blessings, we pray. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost, and all God's people said. Now, usually this is why I say be here at 6 o'clock tonight, because Steve's preaching, but Steve's got to be up first thing in the morning, heading out there, and so I have chosen to preach tonight. And uh, if you want to know how to pray for your pastor, be here tonight.